Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. I am so glad that you're here this morning. As Brendan said, I am Eli, and I've been, had the opportunity to intern him for the past two months. And no, it was not as scary as he makes it sound. But if you're joining us online this morning, thank you so much for joining us. We're so glad you decided to spend your Sunday morning with us. Family dynamics are interesting, aren't they? I'm a youngest child, and I've got to say, you will be surprised how much, when you look back on your childhood, actually builds off of what you know now and what you see the world through. And as a youngest child, me and my brother, we didn't get along super great. And I remember one time, specifically, we were inside, and who knows what, in our living room, and I was upset with him. Don't know why. He was probably making weird faces at me. Who knows? But I just remember I was so mad at him that I took this lamp. It wasn't even related to him. Just took the lamp and I just smashed it onto the ground. And there was a fireplace step there. So I had to go like over the fireplace onto the carpet to shatter. And I was like, well, that's not ideal. And so my brother, he looks down at the lamp, looks up at me, and looks down and he smiles. And I'm like... That is not the kind of smile I want to see, because I knew he was going to try to get me in trouble. So my parents were somewhere outside, so I go bolting out our back door, and at that point, waterworks have begun. I'm sobbing my eyes out. And as I get out there, I find my mom, and I'm like, I don't know what happened. I just, it just fell. And she's like, it just fell? And I'm like, yeah, because I didn't have a great concept of gravity at the time. So wasn't quite aware of how things worked, but... She comes back inside, and we're talking about it, and she's like, so you mean that, like, it just magically fell over the fireplace and onto the carpet? And I'm like, I see what you're saying. And so eventually, <laughs> eventually we figure things out, and I get in trouble. But family dynamics are interesting, because for my family, that was the normal day of the week. And for some families, that is. For other families, maybe you have siblings, and I've always been inspired by siblings that actually get along. Because I don't know how they do it. I just, it's like magic in the house. But do we have any other youngest children in the room? Anyone else relate to this? Because being a youngest child, it's not easy, right? I mean, you get what you want. You're the baby of the family. Get away with whatever you want. It's just, life's not fair. But <laughs> this family dynamic often boils down to your siblings and your rivalries. Because you've got like the older child who is the one who's like the responsible one, who is always making fun of the younger one and always bullying the younger one. And then you've got the middle child who, I don't know where they are. Like, you don't know where they are. Like, do they exist is the real question here. But the middle child always somehow gets left behind. And then, of course, if you're really lucky, you're an only child and you get whatever you want whenever you want. Kind of upset with those people because they always say, they're like, you know, I wish I had siblings. And I'm like... Do you really, though? Because <laughs> it's not a good idea. But family dynamics and siblings, they often lead to dysfunction. Because, let's face it, have you ever had a place with multiple kids where there wasn't dysfunction? And maybe you are one of those people who looks at your kids and is like, why can't you just behave? Like, come on, do you see these other children? Or maybe you look at the other children and you're like, I would never let my kids behave that way. And then, of course, you've got siblings who are like, oh my gosh, I wish my sibling would just leave me alone. And then if you're a teenager, you're like, my parents, they don't get it. They need to get out of here. And every family is different, right? Because we all have different aspects, we all have different people, and different people make different families. 
And today we're going to be taking a break from Matthew. And if you have a physical Bible, now is a great time to get it out. Or if you have the Bible app on your phone, that also works. If you don't have a Bible, but would like one, visit the Welcome Center after service and we can get you one. But we're going to be taking a break from Matthew today. And we're going to look at what Paul says. And Paul's going to tell us what family, about family. And how each family is so different. But how God is going to be calling us today into one family. And what God wants is this one family. He wants us to have peace in this family. So if you open your Bibles, we'll be in Romans 6 today. Verses 1 and 2. We'll start there. What shall we say, then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so Paul had just finished in chapter 5, and he wrote that where sin is, Grace abounds all the more. And so Paul knows that people are going to be confused, and they're going to be like, well, if grace is greater than our sin, then does that make sin irrelevant? By no means, Paul writes. And God's grace is a very intricate characteristic of him. So I like to think, if you go in your kitchen, you've got your kitchen sink, and you turn it on, and you go get your favorite cup, because let's face it, we all have favorite cups. It's weird, but we do. And so you grab your favorite cup, you go and you fill it up, to the brim because you are very thirsty. And you take this big gulp, but you're still thirsty. So you're like, okay, whatever. And so you get another glass and you fill it all the way up and then you take a big gulp. But somehow, you're thirstier than when you begin. And so then you look over in the corner over there and there's this cup. It's old and tarnished and there's cobwebs and everyone's like, oh, don't take that cup. That's not a good cup. You, you wouldn't like it. Feel like, you know what, today? Today I'm going to give it a chance. And so you go over and take this cup and put it under the faucet and turn it on. But when the water hits the cup, it turns to wine. Which is weird. I know. I don't know if I drink it. But today, we're going to drink it. And so you take a sip of it. And somehow, you're so satisfied, you can't imagine taking another drink. And so what you don't realize is that that first cup you took was sin. And when you drank it, it was poisoning your inside, and that's why you were even thirstier. But then that other cup you took was God's grace. Because God gives us grace freely. That cup is always there for you to take, but you have to receive God's grace in order for it to be applied. And then in verse 2, Paul says, We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in any longer? And what Paul is saying here is that because we've taken the cup of Christ, because we've taken God's grace that was given to us freely, we now have to die to sin, which is, means that we are going to be spiritually revived and we're spiritually going to have to die to sin, which we read about in verse 3 and 4, which says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And what Paul is saying here in the beginning is he's talking about baptism. And in Matthew, we've already talked a little bit about baptism. And as Brandon said, baptism is both physical and spiritually important. It is not one or the other. And when you go, when you submerge yourself into the baptism water, what that symbolizes is you're going into the tomb with Christ spiritually. Physically, you're getting clean with physical water. But spiritually, you're going into the tomb with Christ. And then when you come up out of the water physically, what feels like a moment is really the three days that Jesus spent in the tomb, and you are rising and being resurrected with Christ. 
Then, once we're resurrected with Christ, that is what Paul says about living a new life. That's referred to as being born again. And being born again is a weird term, because as Nicodemus says in John 3, it's like, how am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? Because that, that ain't going to work. And so, what Paul is really saying here is that you have to die to sin, right? Spiritually, you have to live a new life, because physically, physically we're going to die. Our bodies are not saved from sin, our spirits are. And so that's what Paul is saying when he's saying being born again. Because Christianity is not just to get out of hell free card. Christianity is a new life. Right? Paul didn't write, oh, live a better life. Or try to be morally good. Or just make good choices. He said, live a new life. But thankfully, Jesus saw that being born again was also just the beginning. Because when Jesus gets baptized, imagine if he had just been like, oh, that's it. We're like, oh, I've lived a good life. Believe in God got baptized, and then he just went to heaven. We'd be, we'd be pretty screwed, because Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. But thankfully, he saw that it was just the beginning. And what did Jesus do right after he got baptized? And Matthew, Matthew writes that right after he was baptized, he began his walk with God. He was led into the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And that is what we're supposed to do after being born again. We're supposed to begin our journey with God. A lot of us can fall into a really easy trap of, I was born into Christianity, so I'm good. Which, I mean, is a valid idea, because, I mean, you go to church, you were born into a Christian home, I mean, why wouldn't you be saved? But what Paul writes today isn't, oh, well, if you were born a Christian, if you believe in God, if you attend church, well, you don't have to be born again. You're perfectly fine. What Paul writes is that you have to live a new life regardless. And so even if you believe that you were born into the church, even if you believe in God, that doesn't save you from the bondage of sin. The only thing that will save you is by taking that cup of God's grace and getting reparented by Christ. In verses 5 through 10, we read three main points that Paul writes. The first point that Paul writes is that we are united with Christ. And this idea is if we were buried with Christ into the grave and we rose from Christ and resurrected with Christ, then we are united with Christ by his blood. The second point that Paul will make is that we are old self was crucified. And so going back to looking at the illusion of Jesus' death and our spiritual death, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he had to do that before he could be born again. Before Jesus rose from the dead, he had to crucif be crucified. And so what Paul is telling us is that physically, you have to crucify yourself. Not literally, metaphorically. But you have to crucify yourself so that you can die to sin and be saved. And then the final point in verses 5 through 10 that Paul will make is that we are adopted by the Father. Because we have been united with Christ, because we are related to Christ through his blood, then we are adopted and reparented by our new father. We'll pick up back in verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer your, any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. I remember the first time I went to a friend's house. And it was very strange because I walked in, they were all taking their shoes off. And I was like, why are you taking your shoes off? I don't want to smell those feet. But thankfully... That was not why they were taking their shoes off. And I really found out that a lot of people actually do that. They take their shoes off and when they go on carpet and things. And 
I had to learn to do that as I went to different people's houses and just to respect their customs at their house. And I did it because I had to learn to obey the rules of this new home. And that's what Paul is, gonna, is telling us today, is that because we've been reparented by Christ, because we've been reparented by our new father, we now live in a new home, and so we have new rules to obey. But then he talks again about how we are not free from sin. Because he says, well, don't give in to sin. He doesn't say sin's not going to happen. Because when we are spiritually reborn, our spirits are saved to go to heaven. But again, physically, we will die. Physically, we will be tempted. And physically, we will sin. But sin doesn't have to reign anymore because Jesus died. And sin doesn't have to reign anymore because we have been born again and reparented by the Father. At the very end in verse 14, Paul brings up the idea of grace again. He says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And so, after Paul writes this, in chapter 7, if you read on, you'll notice that he kind of starts the same way he started chapter 6. He says, Well, if we're not judged by the law, but by grace, then does that make the law irrelevant? He says, By no means. The law is still very much so relevant, but the law is often misinterpreted in its relevancy. Because when God created the law for the Israelites, it wasn't so the Israelites would be saved. The law didn't save anyone. The law just made people conscious that they needed saved. The only way we can be saved is through God's grace and through Jesus. And so when we look at the law, we look at it as a means to what we should and shouldn't do. Not just how it feels, but what God has said. And so when God says something's wrong, we're going to mess up because we're not perfect. But because of God's grace... We can obey the law, because even when we make a mistake, God will forgive us and say, try again, and try again, because we'll keep messing up. But because we can take that cup of Christ, because God's grace is freely given, and we have to receive it, when we receive it, we can be forgiven for our sins. Because laws are often rules, and rules are not my favorite thing, because rules are meant to be broken. It's a rule I live by. And... Um, because there are rules, right, many of us are going to end up breaking rules, especially in our homes, right? When we go back and look at our homes and the family dysfunction, dysfunction is often caused because people don't follow the rules, because rules are designed to bring us peace. But the good news today is that because of God's grace, and because his grace is freely given, all we have to do is receive it, God's grace gives us the groundwork for a new family. And many of you are going to come here today, and you're going to be lost, and you're going to feel, well, you know what? I don't really have a father figure. You know, I, I feel really alone today, and I just need someone to comfort me. Or maybe you're coming here today, and you just come from a chaotic household with lots of people, and just nobody gets along. But the good news is that God's grace is giving us this groundwork for a new family that we can build off of and we can cultivate from. The other portion of not only being a new father is we have new siblings, right? We're related to Christ. Not only are we brother and sister with Christ, but we, as the church, are brother and sister. And so even when it feels like there's no one on your side, you have to know that God's on your side, but not only is God on your side, you new father, but also you have a family of believers that will be by your side. Because we all are going to bring dysfunction to the table, right? Each one of us has our own dysfunction in our lives. But God's grace is greater than our dysfunction. And so this kind of leaves us with a question of how do we build off of God's groundwork, right? God has laid this foundation out that we can stand on, but what do we do with it? And so I'm going to outline five different things that God has given us to follow. And these five things, you're going to notice, are all interconnected. Not one is different than the other four. They all are going to have very similar ideas because 
Again, God didn't call us, oh, try better. Oh, live an improved life. He said, live a new life. And these are the five disciplines of the ultimate parent that are designed to bring you peace. If you're like me, the word discipline, not your favorite word. Again, rules meant to be broken. And so whenever you get in trouble at home, you may think, oh, this is dumb. This is, I don't like rules. But the good thing with God's five disciplines is they aren't going to be super-duper difficult things, and they're not meant to punish you. They're meant to cultivate and grow you along your new journey as you walk your new life with God. The first discipline of the ultimate parent is silence and solitude. And the introverts can say, Amen. Silence and solitude is so hard to come by. Because, face it, the world's busy. There's a lot going on. And there's really not a break we can get. And I like to imagine with silence and solitude... Like the moments when you just need somebody to be there for you, and all they need to do is be there, right? You can sit in silence, and just knowing you have somebody there with you makes all the difference. Because some of us don't have that. But the good news today is that God gives that freely to you. All you have to do is take time to pursue silence and solitude. And Jesus did the exact same thing. On earth, Jesus had many people who needed him. They were sick and dying and possessed, But Jesus knew that God had it all under control. And so Jesus would oftentimes withdraw from the crowds, and he would go and he would pursue silence and solitude. And one of the best ways that God has given us to pursue silence and solitude is through taking a Sabbath. Because a Sabbath, what that does is that says, you know, God, I didn't get everything done today. I may not get everything done tomorrow. But you know what? I'm just going to take tomorrow and not do anything. Because I know that when I come back the next day, it will also be there for me to do. The second discipline of the ultimate parent is listening to God. Listening to your parents can be hard because when I was growing up, I always knew better than my parents. And so it can be really hard to want to listen to somebody. But God isn't going to tell you what to do every step of the way. right? Sometimes we feel like we need this instruction manual of how to do things. But like when you get, take a kid home from the hospital, you don't get an instruction manual. You're just left trying to fend for yourself. And so... What God has left us, though, is he has left us some instructions, and that's the Bible. And a lot of times, with our own earthly father, we may have questions, right? As we get older, we have to learn what things are, right? Don't touch the stove. It's hot. We have to learn that from our parents and learn that by example. And so God has done both of those things. He has given us not only the example of Jesus, but he also has given us the Bible. And the Bible will tell you exactly what God wants for your life. And so that's why I said, if you do not have a Bible today, we can provide one after service. But the Bible is oftentimes read with, I'm going to just read this, and I'm just going to take nothing out of it, because I have to read the Bible, because I'm a good Christian. But that's not what God's going to call us to do. God's going to call us to say, you're struggling with this, you have a question, and you need answers, open your Bible and let me speak to you. Because when you ask God to show up, he will show up greater than you think. The third discipline is reflection and meditation. Self-reflection is one of the best ways to kind of look at your life and see where am I going and where should I be going. And what Jesus did was after about every so often, after parables and long days, he would take his disciples and he'd sit them down and say, hey, this is what I was really saying. This is what you need to do about it. And that's also what God wants to do for us. He wants us to look at our lives and see, okay, this is what I am doing, but what should I be doing? And one of the best ways to do that is to journal. Because when you journal, you're going to organize your thoughts on paper and you can see, okay, this is what I am doing and this is what I should be doing. But for some of us, journaling can be a little overwhelming. And that's okay because 
Maybe instead of journaling, you just need to sit and reflect on your life. Just put your phone away and just say, God, let me reflect on what I've done today. Because on earth, with our earthly father, it can be sometimes difficult. You know, maybe they're at work all the time, or maybe they just aren't around. And it's just because we need someone to make space for us, because we need to feel valued and loved. But the good news today is that God does that. Our new father makes space for you, and he loves you, and he wants you to come to him. The fourth discipline we have today is prayer. Prayer is basically just a conversation. A lot of times we come to prayer and we see, okay, well, I've got to get on my hands and knees, and I've got to bow my head, and I've got to do all this stuff. But in reality, prayer doesn't have to be super elaborate. When Jesus was praying, he would oftentimes just have a conversation and be like, God, this is what's going on. This is what I want you to do. But I know you will do what needs to be done. And on earth, sometimes we like to have conversations with people. I know I like to talk a lot. So sometimes people only listen to what I say instead of me listening to them. But that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to conversate with him. And even when it sometimes feels like on earth, nobody wants to listen to you, and you just can't find somebody who feels like they actually value what you're saying, God will. And it can be hard because God's not physically there standing next to you, looking at you. But you can know that when you pray to God, that he is listening. The fifth and final discipline of the ultimate parent is singing. This one's a little sketchy because I know, and I'm sure all of you know, somebody who should not be singing, which is perfectly okay because the idea is that God created us for singing. We might necessarily be naturally good at singing, but God created us to sing. Something really interesting I found the other day in Matthew was right after the Lord's Supper, before Jesus went to the garden and was arrested and eventually crucified, he and his disciples, they sang hymns together. I thought, well, that's really interesting because Jesus knew he was about to die. He knew what he was about to go through, but yet he still wanted to sing and rejoice together with people. And sometimes it can be hard to find people who want to rejoice with you because we've all got dysfunction, we've all got things in our lives that just aren't going well. And sometimes people will drag you down. But when you sing with surrender, that is when you are ultimately rejoicing with God, and God wants you to do that. And singing with surrender is not just up here trying to mumble through the words just to get through the service. Singing with surrender is when you are just opening your heart to God and saying, God, I am just thankful for today. Because some days are too hard to get through. So then you just need to look at, okay, if I can't get through today, let me just get through this hour. Or maybe this minute. Maybe this second. Or maybe it's just this moment that you can spend with God. Kim Wood Sandusky is a famous vocal coach from out in Nashville. She's worked with artists such as Beyonce and Toby Mac and Lauren Daigle. But she has this really good quote. She says, We are all singers. Some of us have talents that allow us to sing with a beautiful tone and good pitch, while others have talents to sing with their soul. What a beautiful sound we all make as singers to our Heavenly Father's ears. And that is so true, because maybe you are tone deaf. That's okay. And maybe you can sing with perfect pitch. That's also okay. What God's asking you here is he's not asking for a performance. He's just asking for worship. And all five of these disciplines, like I said, they're interconnected, right? If you're going to pursue silence and solitude, you can do all of these. And each one of these may require you to pursue another one. Because what God is ultimately giving us today is peace. He's saying, if you go away from the world and you live a new life, a life that is dedicated to me and towards these five disciplines, then I can give you 
peace, right? When we step away from the world, just take a moment to say, God, why don't you provide for me today? Because we all have dysfunction, right? All of us are going to bring dysfunction to the table. But the next time the enemy comes up to you and says, you know, you've had a rough day. You have a lot of dysfunction right now. Things aren't going well. Why don't you, why don't you try this drink today? You've been there before. You know how easy it is. It's not hard to go there. But you can look at him and say, you know what? I'm full today. I'm full right now. Because my new father meets all of my needs in full. Because at the end of the day, there are two cups we can choose from. We can choose from the cup of chaos that says, oh, I don't have time for that. I'd rather be on social media. I'd rather party. I'd rather feel good now. Or we have the cup of peace that says, you know what, God? Today, today I'm just going to take a Sabbath. You know, right now, I just need some answers, so I'm going to read my Bible. Maybe I should start journaling today. You make prayer a priority in this household, so I'm going to pray. Or maybe you just need to sing and rejoice with God. So this week, I'm just going to encourage you to pursue one of these disciplines. Because what you'll notice as you start to do that is it won't feel like a discipline. It'll become a habit. And that habit will become something you enjoy. And when you enjoy something, God will bring you peace when you enjoy his disciplines. When you enjoy his presence, he'll bring you peace. Because when you pursue God, he'll pursue you. If you bow your heads and pray with me. So Heavenly Father, we just come to you today and we just know that we all have dysfunction. And that every family is so different, but you have a family that is unified through your son. And I just ask that if this week we just need to pursue a Sabbath, or we just need to read a Bible, or pray, or journal, or maybe we just need to rejoice with you, that you will just say, hey, try this today, and I'll give you peace tomorrow. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.